Just to let you know, Marriott this time. Marriott say hackers have gotten about 500 million guests. Info, names, birthdays, I'm sorry, you, you accidentally said 500 million, which is half a billion people. Yes, half a billion. Could be the biggest uh, theft of personal information yet, which is saying something. If you're like me... You've got like six other examples of how the Russians or somebody stole your information already. So another time, whatever. Let's all just join together. When I say Mark, shake our heads sadly and roll our eyes. Right. Ready? Mark. Yeah. What are you going to do? Moving along. Uh, please welcome. Join us in welcoming back to the Armstrong and Getty Show. One of our favorite people to talk to about geopolitics, Ambassador Faisal al Istrabadi, the former Iraqi ambassador to the U.N., Indeed, helped to write that country's constitution. He's currently the director of the Center for the Study of the Middle East at Indiana University and joins us now. Uh, Faisal, how are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you and, again. And I apologize. You pronounce it Faisal, don't you? Faisal, that's right. Right, yeah. my, my mistake. I'm sorry. It's been too long since right, we've no talked. Um, so listen. It's been uh, mangled much worse than that. <laughs> well, at least it was mangled with respect. Um, <laughs> I, I generally don't like radio shows that that make speeches masquerading as questions, but I've got to set this up a little bit. We've been somewhat mystified by the Senate vote, the U.S. Senate vote recently, to uh, deny funding to the administration for support of the Saudi campaign in Yemen. Given our closeness with the Saudis, the fact that the Houthi, uh, the, uh, the Houthi rebels are, are backed by Iran, uh, Yemen is on Saudi's doorstep, with all due respect to the humanitarian nightmare and the uh, snuffing of uh, Mr. Khashoggi, it just seems like an odd move. Having said that, I've been reading a lot about Yemeni politics, which are dizzying. Uh, what should people know about that whole situation to help us understand what's happening? Well, uh, that probably depends on who you talk to, uh, but since you're talking to me, I'll tell you what I think. Um, you're right that the Yemeni politics are dizzying, um, and that, uh, and it's often sort of uh, uh, mischaracterized uh, as Sunni versus Shia, as so many other things are in the Middle East. There's actually both factions, including the ones supported by Saudi Arabia, are a branch of Shia Islam, not Sunni Islam, which is the branch that the Saudis belong to. Interesting. Um, but uh, in any event, um, the uh, uh, Houthis, who are the target of the uh, Saudi uh, coalition strikes, uh, at least the intended target, he um, uh, rebelled against uh, the uh, government of the former president, who is still recog- whose government is still recognized as a legal government by uh, the Gulf states, by the other Gulf states, uh, because they have legitimate grievances. He was setting himself up to become the next dictator of Yemen after they had gone through a so-called Arab Spring uprising. Uh, he, he ran as the only candidate for president. Make a long story short, the Houthis came uh, to power in the capital. Um, they probably did so with Iranian support, with some Iranian support, but they also had the support of local uh, Yemen army units. They, it wasn't just Iranian support. They undoubtedly had some support from Iran. The Saudis, in my opinion, overreacted. Uh, because the Houthis never represented a threat to Saudi Arabia. They were never going to cross the border. They were never going to try to take on a much larger, much better equipped neighbor. They had no extraterritorial ambitions. And my understanding of it is they're only nominally allied with uh, Iran. They have plenty of doctrinal religious differences with Iran and wait six months and they might not be tied to them anymore at all. 
That's right. And what actually happened is when the Saudis started bombing, and the bombing looks from this distance at least pretty damned indiscriminate, uh, so that the, 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 there have been uh, horrendous civilian casualties. Um, um, but when they did that, the Houthis actually turned to Iran for more support than they had before. The bombing actually brought Iran and the Houthis closer together. And as you're right, by this point, who knows who's doing what. I've never understood what the strategic objective of the coalition was. And what the U.S. has been doing is providing logistical support. The problem is that by the time you get to now, this has been going on now. We're in our fourth year. It started in, let's see, March, I think it was, of 2015. So we're in our fourth year now. Uh, we're you know, three and a half years in. Um, you have um, uh, uh, tens of thousands of civilian casualties as a result of the bombing. You have tens of thousands of people who have died because of a man-made starvation. The, the supply chains have been interrupted by the war, and you have had uh, multiple outbreaks of disease, preventable diseases like cholera, again because of the war. So the Senate is, I think, saying to what end? Why are we supporting this, and what is the strategic objective here? If the objective is to re re return the previous government back to power, um, I have to tell you, I've actually written about this in the Yemen context in a book that was published earlier this year. The the record of um, uh, of foreign governments being able to do that, especially basically by an aerial campaign, is, uh, is, is uh, I mean, it just doesn't happen. You cannot restore a government that's been ousted by its own people in what's tantamount to a civil war by an aerial campaign by, by foreign countries. Which brings so, us, in the time we have left, to MBS, uh, the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, his status within Saudi Arabia, what American foreign policy people really think about him, because the the, the Yemeni war is kind of his project, isn't it? Yes, uh, his project and that of the government of the uh, of the United Arab Emirates, uh, the two of them together. And and what you have here is a 33 year old gentleman uh, running Saudi Arabia, um, and he is sort of uh, uh, upset the the status quo Saudi. Saudi Arabia, other than in 1991 when it allied with the U.S. under Security Council authorization to uh, get Iraq out of Kuwait, Saudi Arabia has never committed its own troops anywhere. They they support operate uh, they support organizations here and there, but they never actually get involved in wars. So this is a massive change shift in Saudi policy, and the problem is you've got somebody running Saudi Arabia as crown prince who doesn't. I think, yet have his sea legs and doesn't have a strategic vision of where he wants this to go. Uh, it's almost as if he's playing with, with, with toy soldiers and toy planes. It's, I think, a very dangerous situation. Yeah, that's interesting, because I've been wondering why so many in our government or around the world have been making such a big deal of the killing of this journalist, as horrifying as that is. I'm not pro, but that sort of thing happens in bad countries a lot. And I've wondered why why we're making such a big deal of it. And I wondered if the, like, the Lindsey Grahams of the world are, are, are making a big deal of it just because they don't like MBS. They think he's a loose cannon with this Yemen policy and everything else, and they just they just want to get him out. Well, remember uh, uh, Jamal Khashoggi, whom I actually met uh, a couple of months before he was murdered. Uh, uh, it's kind of odd to have shaken the hands, 
of someone and exchange pleasantries of somebody who gets murdered in this brutal way. Uh, but in any event, um, uh, I, uh, I think what's happening is this. First of all, remember, he's a U.S. permanent resident. So the government of the United States has an interest in protecting its citizens and those who are here as legal permanent residents, um, uh, number one. Number two, they didn't kill him in Saudi Arabia. Number three, they didn't even kill him the old-fashioned way during the Cold War where, you know, it's a hit-and-run accident and he's crossing a street in Istanbul. The way they did it was horrendous. What I think people like Lindsey Graham are concerned about is that there is a strategic interest between the United States and Saudi Arabia. Saudis don't have the same kind of government that the U.S. has. They don't have the same outlook. They don't have the same values. But there are common strategic interests. But somebody like this, and you said it, this MBS is a loose cannon. He can put those strategic interests at risk. Now, the relationship between Saudi Arabia and the United States is vital. It's been seen as vital to U.S. interests in the region. But that doesn't mean that any single member of the Saudi royal family is indispensable. Remember, none of us is indispensable. We're all going to have to be replaced someday. And in Saudi Arabia, you have an example back in the early 60s, a king who was a little bit, as they say in New York, Meshuggah, uh, a little bit crazy, uh, was replaced by his brother, and the relationship between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia went on smoothly. So it's not a it's not a personal relationship. It's a relationship based on strategic interests. And I think people like uh, uh, Lindsey Graham, that's their point. You can't have one person who is unpredictable and mercurial at the helm of what is a strategic relationship between two countries. And I actually see their point. Final question for Ambassador Faisal Al-Estrabadi of the Center for the Study of the Middle East at Indiana University. We just watched a video. It was posted by Ian Bremer of Eurasia Group of uh, MBS and Vladimir Putin greeting each other at the G20 summit with giant smiles and a big high-five soul handshake and a, how you doing, man? And we recoiled at that. That's a hell of a picture. A couple of people who killed journalists saying, hey, nice job. I mean, I don't know how else you'd interpret that. Exactly. This, this this is what I'm saying. There's there's no shared uh, there's no shared value between the 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 government of Saudi Arabia and 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 the government of the United States. It's all about strategic interests. And I guess what MBS is trying to show is that he's still in control. And I guess it's a warning to people like uh, Lindsey Graham that uh, hey, I've got more cards to play than you think. His real problem, however, is pictures aside is that uh, Putin plays Putin now Putin does know what he's doing we may we don't like what he's doing and we may think he's an SOB but he knows what he's doing it's what makes him so dangerous Um, and he has very good relations with Iran because he's able to advance Russian interests in places like Syria in Iran so some of this is just for public consumption this glad-handing but I think what MBS is trying to show is that he's in control when, in fact, I think he, although I think he probably is in control, there is grumbling in his own family. Uh, and that's always a, a troublesome sign in Saudi Arabia because Saudi Arabia, at least up until now, has never been a one-man show. It's always been a consensus of the most senior princes in the royal family. That's how it's governed. So now 
you've got grumblings in the senior ranks, and you've got one person trying to assert absolute authority over everybody. It's a, it's a very volatile situation. I can't tell you how much I want to fly to Indiana and take uh, classes from you, Dr. Istrabadi. Enjoy the conversation very much. You would be welcome anytime, and it's always my pleasure. I always get great questions uh, from the two of you. We always have uh, what I think is a fantastic conversation. I'm happy to join you anytime. Now, I rarely do the homework. Will that be an issue? <laughs> <laughs> we'll make an exception. <laughs> All right. Again, thank you. Thank you so much. Let's talk again soon. <laughs> I, I just in the last couple of days and now understanding why Lindsey Graham and others are making this big deal. It's a handy point of argument it's leverage it's, it's a n- it's a crowbar yeah it's a crowbar it's not just the journalist because that makes no sense right <laughs> the guy was co- the guy was in turkey for one reason because he likes another leader who kills more journalists than his leader right but um but but it's a it helps the argument this guy is is a loose cannon we're aligned with saudi arabia this guy can't be in charge while we're an ally because he, who knows what he's going to do? Exactly. You know, if you're in the mood for more of that in a couple of minutes as we go to break, Michael, hello. Um, uh, Joe, the uh, Masters in International Relations student, wrote us a great breakdown of how the American um, national security uh, establishment and foreign policy establishment sees MBS. And it really echoes what Dr. Istrabadi was saying. He's in charge of Saudi Arabia, and there's a lot of real heavyweights in our country who think, uh-oh, not comfortable with that at all. Trump's fixer changed his tune yesterday in a courtroom, and uh, and that's kind of interesting. And how big a deal is this? We've got more on that coming up in Marshall's News. And Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The midterms are officially over and the Democrats won big. But it took them a long time to get there. So it turns out it wasn't a blue wave. It was more of like a blue rising sea level, you know? (laughs) And let me just say, after more than three weeks of counting votes, America, your elections take too damn long. Like, I miss Africa where it's just like, he has a tank, he is the winner. Wow. Wow. That's pretty good. That's a little perspective. So, uh, Michael Cohen, we all remember him from... And he gets to do that accent, too. He's lucky. Says who? Polls. Says who? What polls? All of them? Some of them. And your question is? That's Michael Cohen. Oh, Uh, boy. So he, it would look like, flipped on Trump yesterday... Changed his story. Admitted he lied to Congress about the timeline of some of the discussions about uh, the building a hotel in Moscow. Okay. Uh, to what extent this is a big deal is in the eye of the beholder, and 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 mostly in the eyes of uh, Robert Mueller and what he has. Right. S- same day that happens, one of uh, tax attorneys that does a lot of work for Donald Trump, uh, feds ran in, booted everybody out, papered over the windows, took all the files. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I'd be saying, too. Adam Schiff, speaking of elections. You ain't going to quote Adam Schiff now. Is that how far we've sunk? I am. I'm going to quote him because he is the chair of the committee that gets to do this sort of thing starting in January. Right. 
The House messing with the President Committee. Yeah, the House messing with the President Committee, and he said he is going to really focus on Trump's business dealings with Russia over the years. Ah, boy. And you open up that can of worms, and who knows what you're going to find. Yeah, great. Whether that's got anything to do with Trump the President, or why you voted for him, or anything like that. Or or what the future of the United States is for. You know, I, I remember it at the time. Folks who tend to agree with me yelling about how Bill Clinton lied under oath. That's unquestionable. Probably raped some people, too, as it turns out. Um, Some women. Uh, And was excused for it for decades. Anyway. uh, But in terms of what would be best for the country over the course of the next two years, is it nailing Bill Clinton to the cross for lying under oath? Maybe not. Well, and the nature of these special counsels. And politically speaking, definitely not. I'm still watching the A&E special, the A&E special, The Clinton Affair. And it's really interesting re going through the timeline of the special counsel for that. Whitewater Landill, Vince Foster, all this stuff. And then these things come in tangentially from the outside. Paula Jones, sex. And Cattle you get to, futures. And, then, uh, and you yeah, get to right. Monica Lewinsky. And like, whatever happened to the land deal that we originally started this with? Oh, we don't care about this. Here's a chance to boot the guy out over this, mm-hmm. which is what exactly what's happening with Trump now. Collusion with Russia. Now, 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 we're not interested in that anymore. This is something he did illegal with his taxes that are big enough to get him. Right. So that's the way these things work, I guess. Yep. Which is why virtually everybody, including Ken Starr, and who is this lieutenant who has been in the news lately? Everybody comes out of those and says, this shouldn't happen. Well, Kavanaugh said that. Oh, that's right. Brett Kavanaugh said, yeah, we got to rewrite this law. It doesn't work the way it's supposed to. I've got 18 industries millennials are ruining. (laughs) Your jihad continues. And why they're ruining them is kind of interesting from a new study from the Fed. It's because they're poor. They can't afford to buy bedspreads. So that's why the bedspread industry is getting ruined. Why are we looking into America's soul, the soul of America today? How did we get started that? I don't remember. Um, materialism and... Well, I've been looking at the, the rising suicide rates and the declining... I think Marshall mentioned the declining uh, lifespan thing again or something like that. Right. And I think at the heart of all of the crises in this country is a lack of connectedness. We are not nourishing our souls. Modern Western society, particularly high-tech Western society, is leaving people malnourished. The things that really matter to the human soul. I'm certain of it. And materialism. Including me. Materialism factors into that, and you certainly notice it and feel it this time of year. And I came across this uh, recently. This guy named Peterson died. He is a well-known pastor. If you're into that sort of thing, Eugene Peterson wrote a lot of books. But I came across this quote from him. American culture is probably the least Christian culture that we've ever had because it's so materialistic and it's so full of lies. The whole advertising world is just intertwined with lies appealing to the worst instincts we have. The problem is people have been treated as consumers for so long they don't know any other way to live. I would agree. I thought that was really interesting. The whole consumer thing, it is lies. It's all lies or at least spin. Everything about selling you something. I like the term created need. And then created need. If sure. you never saw the ad for X, you would never in your entire lifespan think for a second about acquiring X. Well, I sure. would have found my way to an exfoliating loofah eventually. <laughs> What's coming up in your news, Marshall? Well, the White House Russia investigation has nothing to do with the canceled Putin meeting. That's what the administration is saying over and over again. Okay, interesting stuff. We'll delve into that more deeply coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. this list of products and industries that millennials are killing 
And I agree with him on many of these. I'm glad to see him go. Restaurants. <laughs> Millennials are killing restaurants because they're, they're not into Hooters and Twin Peaks oh, and those kinds right. of sports bars that are built around tank tops and boobs. I'm glad to see that. Good, Nice job, Millennials. Good What's Lord. that Scottish one? Short skirt McMolly or whatever. <laughs> Is it see? Handles McGregor's or something like that. Yeah. Dumb. Yeah. Good for you, <laughs> restaurants. That's a funny name. <laughs> Let's get the news now, Marsha Phillips. Al, the White House claiming this morning the ongoing Russia investigation is probably undermining the U.S. relationship with Moscow. Press Secretary Sarah Sanders echoing President Trump calling the probe a complete witch hunt hoax. She again rejected speculation that the Russian investigation is behind the cancellation of that meeting between President Trump and Russian President Putin at the G20 summit. Well, why was she asked? I mean, it was an act of war in Europe that has been condemned on every corner of the globe. And demands have been echoing from every capital in the world to condemn this. Or it could be cone flipping. I I don't know. Sanders insisting the reason for the cancellation revolves solely around the growing tensions between Russia and Ukraine. Well, and it was as, uh, I don't know if you followed cable news on this all day long, but he was getting beaten up for the idea of meeting with Putin. Putin invades another country, yet he's going to give him status on the stage, on the global stage, by meeting with him. Then when he cancels the meeting, it's he only canceled the meeting with this important world leader because of the Cohen right. flip. Which is what I was talking about she earlier. Can't win. Whether it's Lindsey Graham or friends of mine or whatever, people saying, that's it. I'm pro-Trump. Forget it. I'm not, I'm not listening to any of the criticism anymore. You just, when you have 24 hours like that, it kind of forces sure. you into the either for or against. Sure, box. when Trump won on election night, my, my euphoria, and it was euphoria. I've never been happier in my life than than election night when Trump won. It was because it stuck it to the mainstream media and the whole political machine. That was the the euphoria. Yes. A admission by Trump's longtime personal attorney, Michael Cohen, that he lied to Congress about the Trump Organization's plans to build a Trump-branded skyscraper in Moscow has brought new scrutiny upon the sworn testimony of other Trump associates. Remember, lying to Congress, crime. Lying in Congress every day. So the Cohen... So Trump at one point said yesterday, I don't know if we have this clip or not, yesterday, somebody asked... I got to back up another stuff. So Trump says, "Ah, Cohen, he's he's a liar and an idiot." I have part of that quote. Go ahead. He's a weak person, and what he's trying to do is get a reduced sentence. So he's lying about a project that everybody knew about. I mean, we were very open with it. So Trump says he's weak and not a very bright person at some point, and a journalist yells, "So why did you hire him?" And Trump said, "Because he he did me a favor. He did me a favor years ago," and so. A variety of uh, people looked into that. Cohen, who, who's married to a super rich woman, I didn't know this. His wife is like insanely rich. As is her family. Yeah, is her family. Yeah. They bought a ton of Trump properties and buildings years ago. Ah, at and perhaps an inflated price. Certainly at market value when they were empty. And her family, I believe, are Ukrainian oligarchs. I don't know that. Something like that, yeah. I don't know that. That'd be yeah. worth Googling. But um, And that's not necessarily anything illegal there, but it's pretty right. interesting that Trump's lawyer had bought so many properties in his buildings uh, over the years. I don't, I don't know if that means anything or what. Maybe that's just smart move. You got a boss and you run in those circles and he's got an apartment complex, you, you buy a 
Well, Cohen's whole financial empire with his wife's family right. was built on working city governments for taxi licenses yes. in, in particular, which used to be incredibly valuable. Um, and his whole skill set is glad-handing, glad-handing, greasing palms, twisting arms, and, and getting sweetheart deals. That's what he did for a living. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Cohen's wife is Ukrainian-born Laura Schusterman. Schusterman. God, where this is going to go right. with Schiff investigating Trump's business dealings going back decades with Russia, who right. knows where that's going to go. And for the umpteenth time, will the accusations, or even proved accusations, prove being impolite, unethical, highly unethical, uh, traitorous, illegal, slightly illegal, very illegal, all these shades, all these grades of, yeah. of, of bad behavior, and... The left will act like every single thing is felonious and treasonous. And our original air names, our original air names, and we uh, had a jazz trio, <laughs> just the two of us. You don't see that many trios with two people. Right, right. Felonious what? and traitorous. Was one of you playing two instruments? <laughs> when we could, yeah. Um, and, and supporters of, of the Donald. Right, right. Many of whom are just so sick and tired of the relentless attacks from the media won't believe any of it. God, I want the Mueller report to come out. Just get it on. Let's get it on. Let's lay it all out there and argue about it. Keeping in mind, and this is almost hilarious to point out the point of the Mueller investigation is how is Russia messing with us a subset of the inquiry for Mueller was did the Trump campaign help them yeah but the grand question isn't even about Trump or the campaign all right my friends check out your credit reports because Marriott is reporting its Starwood guest reservation database has been hacked into potentially exposing the information of 500 million guests. The hotel giant discovered the breach last week, and they're taking steps toward fixing the issue. If this had happened 10 years ago, I would be worried right now, and I'd be going to my bank statements to see if anything weird had happened, anything like that. But because this is like the 15th time I think my information has been compromised... What am I supposed to do? I'll Here's what you shrug. do. If you're a customer of the Starwood, uh, the Marriott thing, yeah. call the Russian mob, pick up your phone, call them, <laughs> or email them, and ask them if you should be concerned, <laughs> yes. and if you can buy your information back. Right. So, does yeah. this include hotel room pay-per-view information? <laughs> I'm sure it does, Hilarious. <laughs> So, my question is... I think it just appears as in-room entertainment, Michael. <laughs> this is always an interesting angle to these stories. When did Marriott know that this information had been swiped, and then how long a gap between men and when they tell us this. Side note to the hackers, you want my credit? Good luck, buddy. (laughs) Take it. (laughs) You want my credit? Try to buy something with that. (laughs) All right, that's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips. The Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. Honey, why are $24.95 worth of in-room entertainment charges on your bill? Now, you watch that first Benji movie and you just want to watch all of them. They're just addictive. Who's watching hotel room porn? You go down to the Starbucks and use their free Wi-Fi, I guess. Oh! I guess. No, you don't. Since Starbucks Uh, has just made it illegal to look at porn at their stores, I didn't know anybody was doing that. They've they've got a blocker now. If you were some sort of weirdo who goes to get coffee and looks at porn, what is wrong with you? God, get a therapist or something. Thank you. Or a girlfriend. They let you do that in the therapist office? (laughs) If your therapist is Louis C.K. Um, Alan Dershowitz, I always like it when he speaks on these issues of Harvard Law. 
He's always like his insight on the Mueller probe and what this latest thing means. We'll have that for you coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Alan Dershowitz has certainly emerged as an interesting character in the whole Trump phenomenon because you got a guy who now is on Fox News all the time and uh, and criticized by people on MSNBC and CNN. He is a guy who, uh, Hillary supporter, lifetime Democrat, doesn't like anything that Trump stands for, <laughs> um, uh, argues that the Supreme Court got it wrong in Gore versus Bush, all that sort of stuff, but for a variety of reasons... He's often the go-to come to the defense of Trump in some of these legal matters. Because, as he says and has said on our show many times, I just do what I think is legally or constitutionally right, regardless of the party. Imagine that. He uh, regularly talks about shoe is on the other foot. If the shoe were on the other foot, people would be looking at this differently. But Alan Dershowitz said last night, where's the beef on Hannity's show? Where's the crime? In the hours, I'm reading for the Washington Post, by the way, in the hours that followed Michael Cohen, President Trump's former attorney, pleading guilty to lying to Congress, uh, Dershowitz wasn't having it. During a Thursday night interview with Hannity, Dershowitz, a professor at Harvard Law, blasted special counsel Robert Mueller, suggesting that the focus of the investigation into Russian interference in the election has changed to look at any possible political crimes and demanded that the Justice Department withhold the investigation findings until Trump's attorneys can respond. Quoting Dershowitz now, the problem is Mueller is straying away from his mandate to find crime, and he is now looking for political sin. Building buildings in Moscow, using stolen material from Assange, these are not crimes. He has no authority to be a roving commissioner to find political sins. So far, I don't see any evidence of crimes, excepting for ones that he helped to facilitate by getting people to lie in front of his own investigators. I saw That's somebody, pretty good. somebody tweet that all of the prosecutions so, so far are created crimes that if these people hadn't been grilled, they wouldn't be being prosecuted for lying. Uh, somebody responded, you don't have to lie. Now, sometimes you don't lie, you just don't remember correctly, and then you get busted for lying. I will also say that's not entirely accurate, as Manafort was guilty of all sorts of stuff um, that was discovered. But Right, no doubt. But that's unrelated. The, yeah. Yeah, I, I get pretty tired of uh, seeing the board. All these people that have been indicted and 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 pled guilty. Well, the, uh, it's all stuff that's got nothing to do with what we're talking about, though. Right. right. Yeah. I mean, you can you can wonder why so many of the people Trump's doing business with have committed crimes in the past. That's a legitimate argument. Or I think that's what more quote, people unquote, are talking lied about. to investigators. Yeah. Yeah, there's just the, the like Joe's brought up. There's the big divide between people. Some people are interested in what he legally did, and some people are interested in what his character shows. Well, and that was the argument a lot around. I remember Rush talking about this back in '92, and then and, and then on. The Clintons sure know a lot more criminals than I do, because uh, uh, so many people that the Clintons had known throughout their lives would get accused of and or convicted of various things. Yeah, maybe that's just the nature of big time politics. I don't know. Um Popular meme on the internet. We got raccoons in the attic. They're turning the place up. They're ruining the house. We find out there's a guy who's just great at getting raccoons out. Turns out he's a loudmouth. He's kind of rude. Sometimes his ethics aren't that great, but he's getting the raccoons out. We don't care about the rest of it. 
And that's the way a lot of people view Donald J. Trump. And that's its own issue. But um, Dershowitz has been saying, and I didn't know this, or I hadn't looked at it this way. So when Mueller finally releases his report, it is designed to be a prosecutorial instrument. It is not to find the, quote, truth. He's not going to present both sides of the story. For some reason, I was kind of viewing it that way. He's going to lay right. it out, and he's going to have some sins from the FBI and some sins from the Clintons. and sins. No, he's just going to lay out the sins of one side. So that's why Dershowitz says, saying, to be fair, he said the report's got to come out. Um, that, that has to happen, but it should go to the Trump people first. They get to look it over, prepare the rebuttal, and they come out at the same time. That's the only way to fairly handle it. You can't let Trump get beaten up by a one-sided view of things for weeks before they get a chance, or days at least, before they get a chance to rebut it. Mm-hmm. I don't know what will happen. Neither does anybody else, but pretended frantic certainty is the... You know, the coin of the realm on cable TV and in the newspapers these days. You just got to get eyes and ears. And you can't get eyes and ears by saying this isn't a big deal. Did you know that Stephen Colbert is a uh, hardcore, hardcore devoted Catholic? Did you know that? I knew he was Catholic. But... I did not know that. I mean, he's a full-on, quotes the Bible at length, Catholic. Hmm. Give speeches about a Catholic. I came, about, I came across that over the last week or so, something like that. It was a... Uh, tangential to an article that I was reading by uh, about Bill Maher, where he'd come out and blasted Stan Lee's legacy. You remember Stan Lee died a couple of weeks ago? Yeah. Comic book guy. Have you seen this, Sean? Spider-Man at yeah. Al. Yeah, <laughs> Bill Maher made a joke. And, uh... Funny man Bill Maher socked it to late Marvel Comics legend Stan Lee, dissing him as a mere mortal who inspired millions to, I don't know, watch a movie. I don't think it's a huge stretch to suggest that Donald Trump could only get elected in a country that thinks comic books are important, <laughs> Maher wrote in his blog. Griping that both the 2016 elections and the popularity of comics are proof we're using our smarts on stupid stuff. <laughs> All right. I don't know if that's fair or not, but he said when he was a kid, Mar wrote the assumption was comics were for kids. And when you grew up, you moved on to big boy books without the pictures. That was 20 years ago. Adults decided they didn't have to give up kid stuff. And so they pretend comic books are actually where sophisticated literature lives now. Mm, that's that's a blast. Good. I thought that was pretty good. You do have friends, don't you? Well, the super friends. Well, you should get some friends who aren't printed on paper. What, you mean action figures? There you go. That's the millennials, the modern. Oh, that's right. That's your jihad. Yeah, my jihad is how the millennials are ruining so many things, like restaurants and department stores like Macy's and Sears. They were going away. I mean, I just, that's that the millennials. But they're stores with departments. You can't blame the millennials for that, can you? That online shopping came along during their generation? Are they to blame for that? Were they supposed to continue to shop at Sears, even though it'd be more convenient and cheaper to do it on Amazon? I don't know. Damn millennials. You got to try stuff on. Why are millennials killing cereal? Cereals have hit a slump over the last few years. Cereal killers. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't that good. (laughs) That's pretty funny. Uh, 40% of millennials surveyed said cereal was an inconvenient breakfast choice. That's the dumbest sentence I've ever heard. Because they had to clean up after eating it. Boy, that's (sighs) too much cleanup. What, do you not get hot water where you are? They, you rinse that son of a gun. They like yogurt in a cup or fast food breakfast sandwiches or, or, or bars. Those kind of. Oh, yeah, your food bars. Millennials have killed motorcycles for whatever reason. They're not into riding motorcycles or at least big motorcycles. Oh, yeah, high end. Well, high end, lots of stuff is out. Yeah, well, there's a different study on that. Millennials are killing countless industries because, the, according to the Fed, mostly because they're poor. <laughs> they're not buying a lot of these high That'll end things. They'll do it. Either starter houses or $20,000 motorcycles because they don't have the money to do it, is the, is the article here. Millennials have long presumed to have less interest 
in the consumption of goods that underpins the American economy might not be that different. It's just that they don't have the money, according to a Federal Reserve study. Their spending habits are a lot like the generation that came before them. They just have less money at this point in their lives than the generation before them. Student debt and housing costs are enormously higher than they were for previous generations. Uh, adjusted for inflation and the rest of it. It's just true. I got a friend who told me his plan And their incomes is, also haven't scaled with those other things as well. I got a friend who said his plan is to... Um, well, if they had, then it wouldn't be notable, Sean. That's why I brought it up. Cereal. I'll thank you to maintain your silence and be thought a fool instead of opening so you, your mouth and so you removing don't want, all doubt. So you don't want house prices to go up either. Everything should just stay at one thing? Serial killers is funny. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Um, thank you, Michael. Uh, I'm here all week. You know what? I, I was almost going to say something. I better not. What if his kids listen? I better not say this. I was going to talk about a friend and college debt and all that sort of stuff. But his, his college students might listen, so that wouldn't be good. Never mind then. I'll say it. They lay around all day smoking pot and watching Spider-Man. Watching Spider-Man and not buying starter homes, motorcycles, cereal, and bedspreads. Or going to the restaurant. (laughs) Go to Hooters. Knock down a couple of beers. Work up your courage and go buy what? On your Harley. On your Harley. Ride your Harley to Hooters. Then get some fine china and a bedspread for the love of Lord (laughs) of the God. What? What? Ruining America. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. I'm going to tell everyone about how shitty you are.